You can stay standing as we welcome Mr. Mencken to the front. All right, there he is. Well, good morning. Um, turn, please, with me to James chapter 3 this morning. James 3 is where we're at. Been assigned James 3, starting in chapter 13, or starting in verse 13. James 3, starting in verse 13, and we'll work our way down to the end of the chapter, uh, to verse 18 this morning. So let's, let's read it in its entirety, and then we'll come back and, and work our way through it. So starting in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Uh, let's pray this morning together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, as we gather here this morning, we just want to place ourselves humbly at, at your feet. Uh, it is good for us to be, to be just humble before you, at your feet. As the psalmist says, I, I would rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And so, Lord, we just desire this morning that as we gather, we would sit at your feet, we would listen to your teaching, that your, your teaching would, would shape our minds, would shape our hearts, it would teach us to be uh, truly wise and truly understanding people, that we would, in our lives, bring glory and honor to your name. So thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you for every student and, and faculty member here this morning. Uh, we're, we're so thankful for your grace uh, upon grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we just ask that you would open minds and open hearts and um, conform us into the image of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. James begins this, uh, this section this morning with a, with a question. You can see the opening question. He says, who is wise and understanding uh, among you? And it's meant to really to begin by provoking thought. So to begin to 
to get your mind thinking of really in this in this group who really is the wise one and the one that has understanding among us and it's it's meant to be the topic of this of this section um he's setting forth the topic of what he wants to speak to the christians here about uh, we got to remember that he's speaking to christians and he's teaching us who is the wise and understanding among us and he's gonna probably maybe challenge our thought Maybe you have specific thoughts of, oh, this is the wise person. This is the understanding person. And he's going to challenge and teach us who really is the wise and understanding among us. And so he, he begins by this thought-provoking question. And then he begins to go in to tell us um, about the wise and understanding. So you can see in verse 13, he says this. So he asked the question, who is wise and understanding among us? And then he says this, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I found that the NIV translation, I'm reading from the ESV, but I found that the NIV translation helped me understand what what James is saying here. Uh, The NIV goes like this. It says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. So I I just want to pause and talk about that that first part. He says, who's wise and understanding among you? He says, let them show it by their good life. And you guys have heard the, you've heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. And, And you've probably heard somebody boast Maybe about their about their uh, ability, let's say, to play football, right? Oh, you hear somebody say, oh, "I'm a great football player. I'm a really good football player," and they're they're speaking a lot of words to you, telling you how good they are. And really, what you say to them, your next point is this, right? I, I would say, prove it. Okay, don't tell me you're a good football player. The words just they don't really mean that much. You can tell me you're a good football player, but but you really got to prove it. You got to you got to show me that you're a good football player. Um, here's in uh, an example. I just I just wrote this. It's kind of along the sport. It is along the sporting line again. I could I could ask the question this morning: Who is a good basketball player among us? Okay, I could ask this question: Who's who's good among us? And and um, it's not necessarily the one right the one somebody could have a, no, a lot of knowledge of the game they could sit watch television all day watch all the college basketball and sit on the couch and and watch it and, and kind of know about the game they could tell you maybe about the the college basketball teams and about maybe i think Creighton didn't Creighton beat the number 1 team last night or something like that you know they could tell you a lot about the game but are they really a good basketball player they would have to get off of the couch Get onto the court and prove that they are a good basketball player. They'd have to show it with their actions. They'd have to show that they are a good basketball player. And so we, we could come down here and bring them on the court and watch and play games. And you could say, hey, he, you know, he, he can really handle the ball really well. And, man, that he just handles pressure. under. He's calm and cool under pressure. Hey, he's a great passer. He sees the floor really well, and he, he makes a great pass to the people that are open. He's a good shooter. 
He can knock down the 15-footer. He, he can drain the three, right? He's a good defender. He can lock down anybody out there on, on defense. Man, he's, he's a tough defender. And he just gives great effort, great energy to the floor. And you would say, huh? he shows by his works, by his life, that he's a good basketball player. And that's what James is, that's what the book of James is about. He says, you know, who is it that has faith? Let him show it by his work. Let him show his faith by his works. Who is it that's wise and understanding? It's not about telling people that you're wise and understanding, but it is about living a good life. It's the one that's able to live and uh, make the decisions on a practical daily basis that is the one that is truly wise and understanding among us. Uh, that, that word, he says, but let, him, let them show it by their good life. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, the pastor, he, he said that this adjective good, where it describes this life, this adjective good is where we get our word calligraphy from. And calligraphy means this. It means good or, or attractive, beautiful, lovely handwriting. And that's what, that's what he's talking about here. Show that you have wisdom and understanding by the beautiful, lovely, attractive, godly life that you live. That's how you show you have wisdom. Is your life godly? Um, show it in your family life, in your interactions with, with your family relationships, with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your, with your siblings. Show this godly life in your family. Show it in your work life, amongst your coworkers, amongst your employers, amongst your employees, amongst the people you work around, your interactions with people. Show it in how you work. What kind of work do you do? Is it good work? Is it, is it godly work? Show it in your work. Show it in your, I mean, we can go into all sorts of places. Show it into your, your church life, your relationships among the congregation, amongst other believers, your interactions with them. Do you, do you rejoice when they rejoice? Are you there when they're mourning? And you mourn, will you mourn with those who mourn? Are you, are you praying? Are you, are you in a relationship? Are you befriending people? Are you enjoying their relationship? Are, are you seeking to draw them to be more godly, to be more like Christ? And they're making you more like Christ. It's not perfection. You're not going to go into a family life, oh, that's a perfect family. That's not what he's talking about in wisdom, but it's wise. It's people that forgive one another. It's people that can confess their sins. They, can, they, they, they do relationships in a fallen world in a godly way, in a Christ-like manner. And so we show it in all these different ways in the life that we live. It's very practical. It, it's, it's, it's the way you practically live. Show it by the way you practically live. And this is really, this is, this is in agreement with the Old Testament wisdom. The book of Proverbs is very practical. How do you use your words? What kind of friend are you? What kind of friendships do you develop? What kind of work do you do? It's very practical. Wisdom from God is going to affect 
the way that we live. It's going to cause us, when wisdom comes down from God, it's going to cause us to live a godly life. And so he says, let him show it by his good life or his good conduct. And then he says this, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom or, or um, in the meekness of wisdom. And so not only is it, is it practical and you can see it, but it all, wisdom also deals with the inner disposition of the person. What is your inner disposition? And what he says is true wisdom is meek. It flows from from a meek spirit, from a meek inner disposition. And sometimes meekness, you you don't think of, you know, in the Greek world, meekness was sometimes seen as weakness. Even in our world, the American culture today, we don't think, oh, be a man. We don't say be meek. Um, But this is what wisdom and understanding flow from is this meek inner disposition. And so what is meekness? What is meekness? And I, you can think of it like this, uh, a humble gentleness. Uh, sometimes meekness is translated as gentle. Uh, so you see this in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That's meekness, same word. Self-control, faithfulness, self-control. So it can be translated gentle, but it's a humble gentleness. And um, this is what wisdom flows from, this, this, this disposition. And think of it, uh, I just want to give an illustration how you can kind of think of meekness. Is think of, a, think of a father who is very knowledgeable, let's say, in wrestling. He's, he's, he's wrestled all of his life. He's very knowledgeable on moves uh, in wrestling. And he's, he, you know, wrestlers work out, so he's worked out all of his life. So he's strong. And he wants to, and he's got a two-year-old son. And this two-year-old son is weak. He's, you know, he's little. He's just a little guy. And um, his father is going to wrestle with him. And so the father, even though he's strong, meekness is not an absence of strength. It's not an absence of courage or anything like that. But he's, he's strong. But when he, when he wrestles with his son, he doesn't just overbearing, overbearingly crush his son. Right? He doesn't use his knowledge of wrestling just to throw his son into a move and just, and just crush him, right? He doesn't use his strength to just, he could literally crush his two-year-old son. Literally, he could do it. But he doesn't do that, okay? What he does is he gets down on his hands and knees next to his son, and he begins to wrestle with his son. And in a way, we could say he's gently wrestling with his son. He's not using his full force, um, nor is he overbearing in his knowledge, but he's interacting gently with his son. Yeah, he might throw this move. He wants to show his son these moves and teach his son these moves, the half Nelson or whatever. He might rough up his son a little bit, put a little elbow into his ribs, okay, just to toughen him up a little bit, but he's teaching his son to be tough. He's teaching his son these moves of wrestling, but he's doing it in a humble, gentle way. And that's really how you can think of, of, of meekness. It's not somebody who has this knowledge of God that's just fighting spirit. He's just pounding it. He's arrogant over other people. 
He's not those types of things. But he interacts with people humbly and gently. As somebody who is rooted deep in Christ, who has a strong, he's strong in the Lord, he has a deep rooted faith, but his interactions with people, when he teaches, when he instructs, he's gentle. He's not overbearing. He's not a fighting, like uh, harsh, harsh man or woman. That's what meekness is. And that's where true wisdom flows from is this humble gentleness that shows in a good life. Um, meekness is Christ-like. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11. I'll try to go from memory here, but he's going to, he says this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he says this, he describes himself, I am gentle or I am meek and lowly in heart. And what you'll find is you'll find rest for your souls. And so think about this. Jesus is a mighty Savior. He's a mighty King. But yet He invites people to come into His presence. He invites people to come to Him humbly, repentantly, to come to Him as, as sinners before before him just to come and and what he does he doesn't crush the repentant sinner he's strong but he doesn't crush the repentant sinner the, one of the things that we can come to him and allows us to come is that he he treats the repentant sinner gently he he welcomes him in he he shows grace to the repentant sinner he he washes them he takes away their sin and he deals gently with him he, though he's king of kings Though he's robed in majesty, he calls people to himself because he is meek and humble. He's a savior who saves, and he can give you rest for your souls. He's the one that can give you rest for your souls. So, so Christ is strong, yet meek, and he invites us to come. He's not overbearing to the, to the humble, poor sinner. And that's the way that, that wisdom truly is. That's the disposition. They're strong in the Lord, but they are gentle when they're working with other people, humble and working with people. Um, uh, an 1800s commentator, he says, he says this about, about verse 13. He says this, as he sums it up, he says, let him by a holy life show that he is a Christian indeed, that his works and his spirit prove that God is in him. Just think about that. Is, are your, is the spirit that you carry yourself with, are the works that you do on a daily basis, do they prove that God is in you, that Christ is in you? His spirit is alive and active. His word is shaping you. He's teaching you. He's instructing you. Do, do, does it prove that? Again, it's not this perfect person, this, this like, oh, he just, you know, he's just uh, perfect, 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 right? But it is this idea that God is at work. God is at work in this person. He's, he's at work giving him his wisdom, working through this man, his word, and you can see it in the, in the good life that he lives through the meekness of wisdom. And, and the commentator, he goes on and says this, and he says, and that from the fullness of a holy heart, his feet walk, his hands work, and his tongue speaks. 
He says, those proud, overbearing, and disdainful, disdainful men who pass for great scholars and eminent critics may have learning, but they have not wisdom. And so this is the wisdom that comes from above, from God. It affects the life. It affects the works. It's very practical. It affects the inner disposition. It's Christ-like. Now, he's going to move on. As we, as we work through here a little faster through these last verses, um, hopefully we have the idea of what, of what this true wisdom from above looks like. He's going to go on and he's going to make a contrast here. Look at verses 14, 15, and 16. He says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So he makes a contrast here. And he says there's two things he's going to mention here. If they're in your heart, this is not the wisdom that comes from above. This is not the working of God in your heart. And he says this, But if you have bitter jealousy... It can also be translated envy. This idea, if there's envy in your heart, if there's bitter jealousy in your heart, what is envy? What is this bitter jealousy? It's, it's, here's an idea I have to think about. It says, or I've got in my notes, it's a bitter hatred at the sight of another's good fortune because you want what they have. You have, this, you have this bitterness in you. You have this anger, this hatred towards somebody. And their good fortune, it might be that they're, they're, they're happiness. You're angry because they're happy. You're angry because they have these possessions. You're angry because they're a, a good teacher. You're angry because they have knowledge or whatever it may be. They get good grades or they're the, they're the great athlete or the great speech giver. Okay, But you're, you get angry at them because you want what they have. I, I was looking up envy on, on the internet and trying to figure out what this is. And, I, and it, what, one thing that pulled up is, was this painting. It was a painting from the 1800s. It was painted. And it was, it was supposed to be a woman who was envious. And it was, it, was this mean, it was this mean old lady. And you could just see it in her eyes. The, the painting was just like, oh man, it's ugly, right? The idea that you could see the piercing of her eyes that she was despising somebody because of what they had. She wanted it, and she was just torn up on the inside. It was ugly. Um, and so that's what, that's what envy is. It's ugly. It's, it's, it's not a godly characteristic, and it's not the working of God in our lives, and our hearts. I'm just going to tell a story. I heard the kid, this is a guy that told this story to, to illustrate envy. He said there's, there was... Uh, Two men in the city. Uh, one man was envious and one man was covetous. And uh, the prince of the city comes to him and he says, hey, I'm going to give you whatever, you whatever you ask for. Whatever good thing you ask for, I'm going to give it to you. But the catch is that the other person is going to get twice what you asked for. And, and so you can think about this envious person, this covetous man, they didn't want to choose because they could not bear. They weren't like, all right, this is great. 
I get something good and you're going to get even double. I'm happy for you. This is, you know, they weren't excited that something good happened to somebody else. And so they, they brewed over that. They could not think about anything to ask for because they could not stand it if somebody had twice what they had. And they just brewed over it. And they didn't want to ask anything. And the prince finally said, hey, envious man, you've got to choose first. And so he thinks and thinks and thinks. He's brewing. He cannot stand that that guy's going to get what's twice the what he gets. And so he just finally comes to the conclusion. He says, you know what I want is I want you to gouge out one of my eyes. Isn't that, isn't that what envy is? Can't stand somebody else having something good happen to him because I want it. And it's this, it eats away your soul and it, and it's just, it creates disorder, which we, which we see James explain. So that's envy. And then he also mentions selfish ambition. And what selfish ambition is this, if this is in our hearts, he says, selfish ambition is extreme selfishness. It describes somebody who seeks to achieve their own agenda at any cost, even if that means trampling on others. It, it had the idea of political ambition back in the Roman times. Um, you know, if you want to get into a political spot, maybe you want to become Caesar of the Roman Empire, you had to have some ambition. And you do whatever it takes to get on top. If that means backstabbing, go for it. If that means gossiping, go for it. Right? Whatever it takes to get on top. To put myself on top. Self-exaltation. It's all about self. And we, we're in an election year, right? In the United States of America. And you're going to see people do whatever it takes to put themselves on top. Cut down with words, right? Uh, pretend like you're something that you're not. Hypocrisy. Cheat a little bit. Steal a little bit. Whatever it takes to get on top, to put yourself on top. And that's what selfish ambition is. You're, 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 you're scheming in ways to put yourself as ex, in an exalted place. And such a person makes personal gain life's highest goal. And this is not, in the heart, this is not truly godly. This is not truly wise. And that's what James says here. Look at this. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not the work of God in your life of making you yourself the highest goal and aim in life and do what it takes to, to get on top. He says, but this, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's worldly. It's not spiritual. And it's actually demonic. Um, this type of, of attitude in the heart. It's really dethroning God and God's exaltation, God's glory, you're robbing him of that so that everybody praise you and everybody praise me. Right? We put ourselves that everybody should worship me. Everybody should look to me for I'm the one of all wisdom and all strength and all power and all glory. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. And then in verse 16, you can say, you can see what it what it creates. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder 
and every vile practice. There's going to be disorder. There's going to be fighting and quarreling because you're trying to put yourself on top. You're going to cut other people down. You may be gossip about them here. You're not happy for them when things good happen to them. And it's going to create disorder that James says. It creates disorder in a church. It can create disorder in a church among the members. It can create disorder in a school. It can create disorder in a class. And it's, it's not God-glorifying and it's not the wisdom that comes from above. What you see is that it, it, it is absent of love. It's absent of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4-6 says this, Love is patient and kind. And then it says this, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And um, so I just want us to see that when these things are in our hearts, Christians, remember James is writing to Christians, we can deal with these things in our hearts. Envy, selfish ambition. I see it in my own life. You probably can see it in your eye. But this is not what, this is not the work of God in our lives. So, so the Bible is very clear that we want to, we want to get rid of selfish ambition. We want to get rid of the envy in our lives that we might have pure love for God, pure worship for the Lord, pure love for other people. Um, I'm just going to read just a, a little bit here. This is Richard Wormbrand, uh, Torture for Christ. He wrote a, wrote a book. Richard Wormbrand was a, was, a, was a Christian man who spent many years in prison a couple different times in Romania, the country of Romania, and his, his uh, crime was that he was a Christian. His crime that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They threw him in prison. They tortured him for many years um, in prison. And he's actually talking about brainwashing here. He got brainwashed as well, or, or they tried to brainwash him. They torture him. They beat him almost to death at times. And then they would try to brainwash him with things like this. He would hear this over and over and over for days and hours, hours and days and weeks and months and years. He'd hear, Christianity is stupid, Christianity is stupid, Christianity is stupid. Give up, give up, give up. Over and over and over and over and over again. And then he writes in his book, he's, he says, several Christians have asked me how we could resist brainwashing. And he's talking about brainwashing I want us to think about how can we resist selfish ambition and envy in our own hearts when we see it creep up in our own hearts. He says, several Christians have asked me how we could resist brainwashing. He says, there's only one method of resistance to brainwashing. Only one method to resistance to brainwashing. He says this, it is heart washing. He says, if the heart is cleansed by the love of Jesus Christ, and if the heart loves Him, one can resist all tortures. And so his heart was washed in the love of Christ. He knew his Savior. He knew the power of, of the love of Christ in his life. And he, and he loved the Lord in return. That's the cure for brainwashing. That's the cure for selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. Let us return to the Lord. Let us know his goodness. He's been so bountifully good this morning to us. In so many ways. We read that this morning in our psalm. And that's the cure. And 
We're just going to kind of finish up here with the with these last two verses in the book of James, chapter chapter three, seventeen and eighteen. Um, verse seventeen says this: "But the wisdom from above, this wisdom from God, is this: it produces these fruits. This good, this is part of the good life he's talking about. Is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere." And uh, so just to mention these words, this is what the Lord is, is working out. This good life is first pure. It's unmixed with evil. It's sincere. Some of you sincere. They're not, hypoc- they're not hip- a hypocrite. They sincerely love the Lord. They sincerely love people. Pure. It's peaceable. Peace-loving. Somebody who's not a fighter. It's just not just, a, just a, somebody who's um, quarrelsome. But as somebody who who brings peace where they go, wherever they go, it's gentle. We all we already talked about gentle. Um, wisdom from above is it, it produces gentleness. The next one is open to reason. Just simply means teachable. They're not stiff and stern and obstinate, unyielding when they should be yielding. They're teachable. Huh? They're 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 able to be pointed out. Oh, I was wrong there. You're right. I see I was wrong. They're able to be taught. They're open to reason. This wisdom from above is like this, full of mercy and good fruits. It's full of mercy and good fruits. full of compassion. Full of, of good fruits in their lives that are flowing out. And then it's impartial. Fairly. It doesn't matter what social level you're at. It doesn't matter if you're popular or, or not popular. It doesn't matter what you look like, what kind of clothes you wear, what country you're from, what language you speak. They're, they're impartial. They just love people. Doesn't matter where you come from. This is the work of God. And they're sincere. They're not hip- uh, hypocrites. What you see is what you get. Don't you like being around people that are sincere and genuine? It's kind of like, man, that, that person's really sincere. That person's really genuine. I can, I can just sense it in their... And the way they treat me, the way they speak, what they—they're not putting a show on. Who, what you see is what you get. My old football coach from high school—he's a sincere man. I think I love being around him. He tells me—he tells me he loves me every time he sees me, and I believe him. I think he's very genuine about it. I don't think he just says it. I think he really does care for me and love me. Just I just enjoy being around him, and um. So these are the fruits of this, this good life that the Lord is producing in our lives. Uh, we could put other things on there as well, fruits of the Spirit and, and so forth. And then look at verse 18. We'll kind of close out here this morning. But verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This, this wisdom that comes from above, it causes people to sow the fruits of God, the, 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 sow the truth of God in peace. And what is reaped, what is harvested, is, is it's this harvest. Think about this bountiful harvest of righteousness. You've got the fruit of righteousness to show for it in your life. That's, what har- that's what's harvested. It's the fruit of righteousness. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful life? Christ is at work in your life. He's in you. He's instructing you. He's teaching you. He's growing you. And what the effect is, is the fruit of righteousness. It's a harvest of righteousness that He's producing in you and through you. 
And it's to the glory and to the praise of God. He's been so gracious to us. He's my redeemer. He's, my, he's the one that restores my soul. He's the one that leads me in paths of righteousness. He's my caregiver. He gives me every good thing. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because he's my shepherd. He laid down his life for me because I'm in his care and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What we see, hopefully we can see the, the contrast of wisdom that comes from above and wisdom that is simply just earthly, unspiritual, and demonic as, as, James, as James instructs us. And I just again want to say that he's writing to Christians here and we have the tendency to do this. And so I just want you to, just to think about, I've heard, just that kind of in closing, I've heard... Um, it was kind of wise from this man. He just, he just said he started to get into the habit of getting on his knees and praying multiple times throughout the day. Multiple times throughout the day. And why, what, what he said he did that, it was not this self-righteous, okay, do it now. I do it in the morning when I first wake up to start my day. I do it at noontime. I do it at, when I go home from work, and I do it before I go to bed, right? There's, there's maybe four times where he gets down on his knees to pray. And it's not this self-righteous thing. Oh, God, look at me. I'm praying early in the morning. I'm praying at lunch. I'm praying at supper time. I'm praying before I go to bed. But what he says is this. He said, the reason I, I get on my knees and I, and I pray is because I need my heart to be reoriented. I get up in the morning. And I, th- I got all this anxiety on my heart. And it just causes me to... To be, you know, we just get all worked up and we get so about ourselves, we get so consumed even early in the morning. He says, I got to just stop and pause. I want to get into the word. I want to commune with the Lord. And I want to get on my knees and just be in the presence of the Lord to worship, to be at his feet, to have my heart reoriented in the morning before I go to work, to love him and to love my neighbor as myself. i got to reorder my heart. And then, and then, you know, you think about it, you go through your morning, right? You go through school, you go through work, and then you, you're going through all these things, and you, then you got to, at, at lunchtime, you got to pause, and i got to have my heart reoriented again by the Lord. And i just got to get on my knees again, right? It doesn't have to be anything long or whatever, but it's the idea of, a, Lord, I've got all these things going on. Reorient my heart to be godly, to be full of the fruits of the Spirit, to, to be obedient to your word, right? And you're reorienting your heart to love the Lord, to love God. Then you go home, right? You've got a long afternoon. You're going home from a long day, and you just want to be all about yourself. And that's another time. Maybe you got to re- your heart needs to be reoriented. Lord, help me with my family to... to I just need I, need, I need you, Lord. I need your grace. I need you to, to control my thoughts and my actions towards my spouse, towards my children. Uh, I, just, I just need you. And then you go to bed at night, right? And you're thinking about all the things that need to be done. And, and, you're, like, ah, and you're worried about it. I get anxious at night. And you pause again and you say, Lord, um, as I rest tonight, help me to rest in you, Lord Jesus. Let me define my, my rest and my all in you, Lord. And so we need this throughout the day. It's wisdom. It's not in and of ourselves. 
So we've got to seek it in the Lord. It's wisdom that comes down from above. And as we spend more time in His presence, as we spend more time communing with Him in His Word and in prayer, He's going to continue to grow you so that you have a harvest of righteousness for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as the Scriptures say, You have been so bountifully good to us. So, so good to us, Lord. Um, we're like the prodigals who come to their senses. We realize that we've sinned against heaven. We've sinned against You, Lord. And we're not worthy to be called Your children. But Lord, when we come to You, Lord Jesus, You are a mighty, gracious Savior who has given Your life for us. And so, Lord, you, you have the ability and the strength to wash away our sins, to adopt us into your family, and to bring us into your kingdom. So thank you, Lord. Help each student, help each adult in this room to truly seek the wisdom that comes from above, to walk with you, to know you as, you, as their good shepherd. And may you produce fruit um, in our lives for your glory. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.